Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, the protector of all who trust in you, without whom nothing is strong, nothing is holy. Increase and multiply upon us your mercy that with you as our ruler and guide, we may so pass through things temporal that we lose not things eternal. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. may be seated for the readings. A reading from 1 Kings. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous that they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall rise after you. The word of the Lord. We will read Psalm 119, 129 through 136 responsively. Your decrees are wonderful, therefore I obey them with all my heart. When your word goes forth, it gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant. I long for your commandments. Turn to me in mercy, as you always do to those who love your name. Steady my footsteps in your word. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. Rescue me from those who oppress me, and I will keep your commandments. Let your countenance shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. A reading from Romans. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Another parable Jesus put before the crowd. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all this? They answered, Yes. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Gracious God, we were created in your love. We are here and sustained by your love. And we are becoming what we are by that same love. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear who and what we are in your sight. Amen. The lectionary has given us far too much to deal with this morning, but I will make an attempt at weaving these many images together in what I hope to be a coherent picture. As parables, 
There are many ways in which we might read these different metaphors and images that Jesus gives us. And as someone, myself, who appreciates the creativity afforded to literary interpretation, I think this particular style encourages us to see the teaching of Jesus more as a prism than as a puzzle. That's prism, not prison, prism, than as a puzzle. Between our two segments this morning, there is an editorial comment telling us, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. So there's something to be said about Jesus' use of parables in teaching, especially as they leave us to interpret without much limitation. I would hope that we can approach Scripture with the playfulness and improvisation as a jazz musician who comments on a standard with their own particular style and instrument. Western Christianity has been far too rigid in its understanding of scriptural interpretation, especially since the Enlightenment. Parables are certainly <clears throat> certainly resistant to any kind of rigidity in interpretation, and I think that that ought to tell us something about how God expects us to engage with Scripture as a whole. I say this because I think we are programmed to extract a moral lesson from the literature we consume, especially the stories of Jesus. We want to read something like the parable or a story from the Bible and have it help us determine what it is exactly God wants us to do, what is required of us, what is the answer, what is the solution. This is not necessarily a bad thing, and it is quite important to discern our ethics through engagement with the story God has given us in Scripture while also resisting the impulse to use scripture as a kind of rule book or answer book, puzzle to be solved. That said, it is possible to read these parables as instructions for Christians. We might see ourselves as the mustard seed or the yeast, and it is our duty, therefore, to spread the kingdom of God throughout the world as missionaries, imagining our smallest acts of faithfulness as having the potential for incredible growth. Or we might see the treasure and pearl of great price as those things that symbolize the kingdom for which we ought to give up everything, including our wealth, even our lives. I'm sure these have been presented before, and again, there's nothing inherently wrong with these interpretations. In fact, they flow quite nicely with both the call to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, and the final great commission where the disciples are sent into all the world to make more disciples baptize and teach everything Jesus has commanded. But I'm convinced that it is far more interesting to consider what God is doing, to consider what God is like, than it is to focus on ourselves and our potential in these parables. It took me a while to get to this point, to the point where I did not feel the need to find instructions whereby I might earn what God has to offer. Just tell me what I need to do to get where I need to go. It took me a while to get to the point where I could read the Bible as a varied account of God's unilateral, gracious, and saving actions toward us. It has shifted from, what do I need to do, to, what has God done for me, for us? So when I read that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, but it grows into a tree that houses birds of all kinds, I see an image of God's movement toward us in Christ. Christ is the single individual in history who, like the mustard seed, was planted in the earth and who through resurrection and ascension has become a global body, a house for all people, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. 
We are each members finding our home and identity in the body of Christ, which has become an expansive dwelling place with room for everyone, for birds of all kinds. And when I read that the kingdom of God is like yeast that works its way through the entire lump of dough, I think of that yeast as Christ who has filled all things, who will finally be all in all. The lifeless dough is filled with life by the yeast, whose effects spread throughout the whole, incapable of being separated from the whole. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Just as the yeast spreads throughout the dough, so also does the saving work of Christ spread through all creation, so that as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Or, again, from Romans, it If because of one man, Adam's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What if, then, we read the parables of the treasure and the pearl of great price in the same direction? That is, as parables fundamentally depicting a God who is for us. What if the kingdom of God is manifest in the God who has found a treasure in the field and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field? What if the kingdom of God is revealed by a God who is like a merchant in search of fine pearls? On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is a far more compelling message to me, one that speaks of and affirms our infinite value even as finite creatures, so that our infinite value is itself a gift of the infinite creator's own love for us. It is God who laid down divinity, emptied himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, became the lowest among us, sold everything in order to restore and reconcile the creation to the creator once more. One of my favorite films is called Of Gods and Men, a French film uh, based on true events, and the film follows the story of a French Cistercian monastery in Algeria in the early 1990s. The monastery is located in a small Muslim village, and the monks have a deep relationship with the local Muslim villagers. We see early on the importance of the monastery as they provide medicine and other services, but we also see the trust and personal affection they have for one another. They attend each other's uh, milestone events and parties and family events. They uh, speak to each other in ways that uh, are, are affectionate, and they, they discern with one another what they need, what, 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 they, what they need as a village, and, and you have this wonderful scene where the doctor is speaking with this young girl, and he's, she's asking him, the doctor is one of the monks, and he's, he's speaking to this young girl, and, and, and she's asking him, what's it like to be in love? <laughs> and so you have this really intimate connection between uh, this young 15-year-old girl and this monk who she sees as kind of one of her grandparents. So when the threat of extremists makes its way toward the village and monastery, the monks are faced with a decision. Should they leave for safety and escape the threat of the extremist group? Or should they remain where they have been with the people who depend on them, in whom they have found a home and an identity? They face a number of pressures, both from France and uh, from the local government to leave, they make a decision to remain and endure the risk to be, as Abbot Christian says, 
martyrs of love and fidelity. They will not abandon the village, leave behind them a vacuum of despair. Instead, they choose the risk of love, affirming the infinite value of their relationship with the people who have come to love and who trust them in return. They opt to follow the wisdom of their vows, wisdom of poverty and stability, to sell all they have, that is, all of their options for safety or escape, seeing their life in the village as the pearl of great price, a treasure in a field. How much better the news if we hear Jesus's words and understand that it speaks of God's profligate, reckless love for us, for you, speaks of God's determination that we and all this creation are more valuable even than heaven's comfort and divinity's power. These are the things God squanders for our sake, we who are God's pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. The kingdom of God is revealed in God's own disclosure of the infinite worth of creation, of the infinite worth of every creature born of the limitless love of God. And God is not afraid, God is neither aloof nor is God afraid of the mess that comes with us, the dirt around the treasure that must be scraped out with shovel and fingers, or the rubbish that finds its way in the dragnet along with the fish, tires, boots, and whatever else you can find in the lake. Pride, selfishness, injustice, bigotry, fear, violence, these things God does not fear, but they will be hauled away and discarded so that what remains of us is only that which God first intended for us. God has given everything for our sake, and we will not be left to struggle under the weight of our self-imposed burdens. Our Eucharist proclaims that God's movement toward us does not end. As Christ arrives among us now in bread and wine, we are once again revealed to be that pearl of great price, the treasure in the field. God is not only unafraid of the mess that might come with us, God is also not afraid of affirming what is both old and new at this altar. The love of God for us and the infinite value of creation revealed by that love of each one of God's creatures, the infinite value of each one of God's creatures revealed by that love. These are not limited to the past. It is renewed every time God chooses to be poured out among us here now, in this time and space. Here, God renews God's election of creation, God's unilateral covenant with us, God's affirmation of our infinite value, even when we cannot see it ourselves. So once again, God reveals here that you are the one. You are the one who has caused the creator to sell everything to be here with you. You are the pearl of great price. You are the priceless treasure in the field, as you were, as you are today, and as you will be. Amen. Let us stand and reaffirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, God and Father.
where he married and was saved him. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He was dead and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from Father and Son, the Father and the Son, the Lord, the Lord, and the Son, the Prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. We acknowledge one baptism of forgiveness and sins. We look for the resurrection and the life of the world to come. The prayers of the people are formed sick. Let us pray for the church and for the world. In peace we pray to you, Lord God, for all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone. Remembering especially Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Bill, our Governor, our Courts of Justice, and Pat and Richard, our Mayors, we pray for this community, the nation, and the world. For all who work for justice, freedom, and peace. For the just and proper use of your creation. For the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. For all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble. For those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy. For the peace and unity of the Church of God. For all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth. For Justin, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael, our presiding bishop, Brian, our bishop, Johnny, our rector, Chris and Gordon, our deacons. In our diocese, for clergy families of East Tennessee, and in our companion diocese of South Dakota, for the diocese of South Dakota, and for all bishops and other ministers. For all who serve God in God's church. For the special needs and concerns of this congregation, especially Sister and Gordon, Becky, Carolyn, Stephanie and family, Ed, Bill, Tony, Cal, Louisa, Catherine, Randy, Lisa, Mariana, Martha, Mike, Allison DeWitt, Doreen, Beth, Myra, John, Rick, Jay, John, Tim, Mark, Deanna, Jackson, Jonathan, Regina, Jonathan, Patricia, Jim, Van, Sarah Beth, Jason, Daryl, Mike, Gary, Charlie and Phyllis, Kim, Diane, Larry, Matt, Richard, Susan, Harold, Caitlin, Trish, Paul, Daryl, Don, Christy, Jessica, Justin, Nora, and Robbie. Hear us, Lord. For your mercy is great. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. We exalt you, O God, our King. And praise your name forever and ever. We pray for all who have died, that they may have a place in your eternal kingdom. Lord, let your loving kindness be upon them. Who put their trust in you. 
we pray to you also for the forgiveness of our sins. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. And so uphold us by your Spirit, that we may live and serve you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Friends, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. May God the Holy Trinity make you strong in faith and love, defend you on every side, and guide you in truth and peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and abide with you always. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord.